We're going to just look at this ending letter of James for just a few moments, and then we're going to have a time of prayer that's going to be concluded by inviting our elders and pastoral staff and some of our prayer team. And if you're sick in your body today, we are going to open the altars up and invite you, if you'd like to be prayed for, anointed with oil, we will do that. Before we do, as we wrap up this series in James, let me remind you where we started. James, the purpose, the whole purpose of this very practical letter that he was writing to those first century Jewish Christians was this. He wanted to write a letter that challenged and encouraged those Christians, and by doing so to us today, that this faith that we have in our minds, the faith that we have in our hearts, the faith that we talk about and learn about and share about when we gather together, that that very same faith would not be something that's just kept up on the inside or talked about, but it would be lived and displayed to the world around us. He started that letter in chapter 1 by talking about an enduring faith. Right away, that letting us know that if we don't know by now, we're going to experience trials. We're going to experience suffering. And that God wants us to have a faith that endures those things, understanding that God often uses the gift of struggle to grow us into spiritual maturity. He continued in that letter in chapter 2 of James by talking about a dynamic faith, saying that, yeah, actions speak louder than words. And the best way to demonstrate to the world, to display to the world that your faith is genuine, that your faith is sincere, is to actually go out and live it. And so that's what he talked about in chapter 2. And then in chapter 3, he talked about a disciplined faith. All of us want to live disciplined lives, or hopefully we do, and that should come into our area of spirituality and faith. And he talked about if you don't control the tongue, it will control you. And the tongue, our mouth, is the rudder on a ship. It's the bit and the mouth of a horse, if you will. And so if we want to live disciplined lives, it begins with how we use our words. And then last week we talked about a victorious faith in chapter 4 that battles and wars that we face are very much real there is a war for the unity within the church the community of faith faces those battles to remain united and one there are also battles that we face relationally there also are oftentimes war against god when we want our way and god's saying no this is what i want you to do and so to have peace through those battles, to see victory, to have that victorious faith, we need to live lives of unconditional surrender. And that happens through submitting to God, drawing near to God, and humbling ourselves before him. And then at the end of his letter, I believe he saves the best for last, if you will, or maybe even the most important. James talks about prayer. And for every follower of Jesus... Prayer is significant. You could say that James says persistent prayer should be the fundamental practice of every Jesus follower. If you're a Christian here today or watching online, if you're a follower of Jesus, having a life of persistent prayer is a requirement. It should be a regular part. And I'm not talking about the prayers that we offer up three times a day before we eat. 
Prayer needs to be a regular practice in our life. So as we look to these scripture that James writes, there are three distinct types of prayers, three distinct ways in which prayer should be displayed in our life. The first is personal prayers. He writes in verse 13, he asks, are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. So it's pretty simple. If you're here today and you're suffering, whether it be in your body or emotionally or in relationships or whatever it may be, James says, pray. If you're going through the most difficult things in your life, you need to be a person of prayer. But then on the other hand, you could be here today and you could be very happy and everything could be going perfect in your life. And you're like, I'm pretty good. What does James say to do? Sing praise. Both are worship, praise and prayer. And James is saying, so whatever season of life you're in, no matter how you feel, no matter how life is going, prayer, worship, praise should be a part of that. Colossians 4.2, devote yourselves to prayer. Ephesians 6.18, pray at all times. Romans 12.12, be constant in prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, never stop praying. We should be people of prayer, individual prayers. James says, you pray. There is a very personal and private implication there that we should be people of prayer. The second type of prayer are corporate prayers. In verse 14, James writes, Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. So this is an element of prayer that moves beyond a private, very personal prayer that's just between you and God to a corporate setting. James challenges us all to call upon the leadership of the church. In our church, our elders are elected by the congregation. We had an elders meeting this past Tuesday, and we meet not just about business items of the church. We talk about spiritual things. We pray for our church, and I reminded them that their responsibility is what we're going to do this weekend of praying for our church. So there's a corporate element to our prayers, James continues and he writes, such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. I didn't misread that. I didn't stutter. James said, such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. How many have ever struggled with that verse before? I'm the only one. Liars. We wrestle with that. Why? Because our experience tells us that not everyone sees their healing. So we think. Let me say this, that oftentimes one of the reasons we struggle with that is because we have a very myoptic view or maybe two views, two extreme views of healing. One extreme view of healing is when we're flipping through the channels late at night and we go through and we see the televangelist who's sweating and waving a handkerchief and screaming and he's telling you that you haven't received your healing because you don't have enough what? Faith or money. You need to change change the channel, Dale. There's that guy too. Yeah, but here's the other extreme. 
There's the other extreme. There are those that teach and believe that Jesus doesn't do miracles today. That what you read in your Bible ended at the end of the New Testament. Both are wrong. Both are wrong. It is not about you stirring up enough faith. You not receiving your healing isn't about, well, I just, I don't believe in God enough. I haven't prayed enough. I just, Lord, I know, I trust you. It's not about that. But we also need to understand that God still does miracles today. We sang about it. He is the same God. The same way in which he saved three Hebrew, Hebrew children in the middle of the fire still shows up in our fires today. Both are extremes. So then how do we come to grips then with that verse that says a prayer offered in faith like that, we will receive healing? Well, let me offer this to you. There are four ways in which God heals. The first way in which God heals, I think we would recognize that all of us are wonderfully and beautifully made. He, we are created in his image and our bodies are absolutely amazing. And what happens is sometimes a bacteria or virus may enter my body. And when that happens, immediately white blood cells are dispersed within it. And they seek out that virus. They seek out that bacteria. And they begin to do healing internally. Do you recognize that even right now your body is healing itself in miraculous ways? Every day that happens. But we only think of the one way in which God heals. God is working and healing our bodies on a daily basis. And he created us. That way. The second way in which God heals, some of you are wonderfully gifted nurses and doctors and surgeons. God uses people like that, men and women who are incredibly talented and gifted and have steady hands and knowledge and I would say anointed to be a part of the healing process in the body. So when I tear my Achilles or ACL or you're having a surgery that heals your heart or a kidney transplant or operating on the brain, there are hands that aren't fearful in that moment and they know exactly what to do. And there's a team of people that work at hospitals that on a daily basis help bring healing to the world. That's another way in which God heals. The third way in which God heals is what we are going to believe for today. At the end of our service, when we come and our, our elders and our pastoral staff anoints those who are sick and we pray a prayer of faith, asking God to do the miraculous, God still does that today and we can believe and pray for that. That's the third way in which God heals. The fourth way is maybe one of the most painful ways in which God heals. And that's this. It's when the sick person person that's dealt with an incredible difficult health issue takes their last breath here on earth but in the next breath they discover their healing in heaven because there is a day that is coming when we will all be in heaven and there will be no more sickness there will be no more sorrow there will be no more pain do you see the ways in which God heals our responsibility is simply to trust in the healer. Our faith should be in the person, not our desired outcome. A prayer that says, Lord, we believe, we know you can heal that third way. That's what we would want. We want cancer to be driven out today. And we know that in one word, you can remove it. But our prayer is your will be done, not mine. 
The final way that James talks about prayers is interpersonal. There are individual prayers, there are corporate prayers, and then there are interpersonal prayers. In verse 16, he writes, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. He says, one, you pray. Two, call upon the elders to pray corporately. But the third one is you should pray for one another. And in that, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. We're going to take a few moments and pray for one another. There should be a time when you tap your friend on the shoulder and ask, would you pray for me? There should be people in our lives that we're close enough with, that we're transparent enough with, that we can bring to them needs and, and things that are happening in our life and say, would you agree, would you pray with me? It's interpersonal prayers. But in all of that, persistent prayer should be the fundamental practice of every follower of Jesus. Today, we're going to move, and let me say this as we do. We're going to have a time of individual prayer. I have a couple people that are going to lead us in prayer. Then we're going to do prayer huddles where we pray for one another. And then finally, we're going to call the elders and staff and prayer warriors and, and anoint people with oil and believe for healing as we pray for the sick today. I fully recognize, especially in this service, that there are some, you may be visiting us today and it's your first time. There's some that you're new to the faith and maybe you're just not comfortable yet praying out loud or praying for somebody. I recognize that. And my goal is not to make you uncomfortable today. And I'm not going to ask you to do anything you don't want to do. However, let me challenge you in this way. Could it be that God wants to make you a bit uncomfortable today? And that prayer muscle that you're developing and growing, he wants to stretch a bit. So we're going to pray together.